Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and today we'll be talking with Sheriff John Tharp, who launched the Drug Abuse Response Team better known as DART, in Lucas County, Ohio. Founded in 2014, DART is making a difference in the opioid epidemic in Western Ohio. So, John, welcome. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you having me on on your program today. Okay. Sheriff Tharp, you're responsible for really bringing DART about, represented a change in culture before that was even popular. How did you come up with this innovative program? Well, what happened in in, uh, July... In uh, uh, 14, we uh, launched the program, but uh, I was a rather new sheriff in Lucas County, and I was making a point to come out, and uh, which I do on a regular basis, uh, ride with the road patrol and come into the uh, correction facility at uh, 2 in the morning, 1 in the morning, spend time with the officers uh, to, uh, to learn and to uh, talk with them and get to know them and their families better. But every night that I would come into the correction facility, I would see somebody uh, in a cell that had overdosed, and that um, every single night, every time I would come in, I would see somebody that was going through detox uh, that had overdosed, and uh, they were had been arrested and brought into the facility for another charge, uh, and uh, but they were going through detox. And Ooh. I remember remember the the one uh, young fellow. He was clean cut. Uh, he was laying in the floor in a cell, and we had a nurse and one of uh, two of our correction officers with him. Uh, this young fellow was screaming. He was crying. Uh, he was yelling as loud as he could yell. His uh, body was aching. He was uh, uh, vomiting, uh, urinating on himself, and uh, his legs and arms were flailing. In fact, he had kicked one of the officers. Uh, when he kicked the officer, the officer actually stepped out of the cell because he didn't know how badly he was hurt. But the person that was going through the detox actually apologized to the officer. And this drew my attention to him because I, I realized, too, that, you know, this person can't be all that bad. A lot of, a lot of people are arrested, but they are not necessarily bad, bad people. And so uh, I continued to watch and listen and, and, uh, as they were helping this young fellow. So the next night I come in, a very similar thing is happening. So I decided that we need to do something. We, we need to, in law enforcement, what do we do? And we weren't doing anything as far as the detox and overdoses. We were simply making out a report and sending it uh, 
through to the proper proper people. And I thought, we need to do something more in law enforcement. What can we do? And so I got a hold of the, um, the uh, fire chiefs, and they are the first responders. They are the ones that knows what's going on in, in uh, these types of situations. They shared with me that it seemed like every night that they were going to an overdose. But they told me that they would, they would contact our dispatcher and let our dispatcher know when they're responding to the overdoses. They further told me that people uh, would call, and they were embarrassed to say their daughter just shot up with heroin. Their 18-year-old is a heroin addict. They were saying, my daughter can't breathe, or my son fell down the steps. Could you send rescue? Could you send help? And so when they would get there, they would find out that this was a heroin overdose, and they would take them to the emergency rooms. So all the... Um, all the fire chiefs that said, we will contact a dispatcher and let you know when these overdoses come in. The, the dispatchers were taking so many calls, it was unbelievable, of overdoses. This one, we first found out that we were heading towards or maybe in an epidemic at that time. So we decided to do some education with our road officers, and I contacted uh, uh, Matt Ruzzo from an organization called Renewed Minds here in our county, a treatment agency, and Matt agreed that he would go out with me to the road patrol and uh, educate all the road officers of how to handle these overdoses, the right questions to ask, what are the right buttons to push to get these people um, to agree to go to treatment, agree to go to detox, uh, and to accept our assistance. And so. The education component was done with all the road officers, and I'd asked the road officers then to follow up the next day once if you get them into detox or they go back home, is to follow up with them the next day. Is that, you know, really this is part of what we should be doing as law enforcement officers. This is police community relations um, at its best. Is that when we follow up and we do what we can do at our end to help the community. Sure. So, but there were so many coming in that, that the road officers couldn't handle uh, all that um, or take care of that request. So I decided to put two officers in the unit, uh, in a unit, and we called it DART, Drug Abuse Response Team. And the two officers would respond to the hospitals and to try to get people to let them uh, take them to detox and take them to recovery. We found out that this was working. This, this process um, uh, certainly helped. We had to put more people on the unit, the county commissioners of our county, and I give them a lot of credit after talking to them, and I told them that uh, I was going to try to get a grant. Uh, they agreed it would take so long to get a grant if I felt that this was something that needed to be done to go ahead and place a couple more officers in the unit, and they would pay for it. And so we did that. We placed um, additional officers uh, three more officers in the unit, so we had five officers in our DART unit to respond. Uh, and we then found that that wasn't enough. So moving forward is that um, I uh, contacted Attorney General DeWine and told him what we were doing and uh, what we wanted to do in the future and we need to add to this unit. And he had said, let me give you a call back and, and uh, let me do some checking. So he called back within a half hour and he said he checked with his staff and this is not being done by law enforcement anywhere in the state of Ohio or throughout the United States. This wasn't being done. And that to send him a one-page letter as to what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it, and he would help us. 
and he did. He helped us. He brought in $800,000 to Lucas County for for beds, uh, recovery beds, and then also for uh, a couple more officers into that unit. We reached out to uh, other law enforcement agencies, and they helped as well. They gave us um, full-time police officers. Some gave us part-time police officers uh, in the unit. And now we were up to 20 officers in the unit. Uh, furthermore, is that we're working with the treatment agencies, and uh, the treatment agencies has placed uh, counselors in our unit. Uh, seven treatment agencies are working with us. So we have um, people from seven different agencies and with us uh, that are helping us to respond. Uh, to this date, we have worked with, um, we just uh, broke uh, 2,200 overdoses that we've responded to, that we've worked with those those folks and uh, to get them into detox and recovery. John, could you walk us through a typical scenario? So a call comes in, take it from there. Okay, so what happens is that uh, a call will come in to the fire department or rescue. Uh, they are taken to the emergency room. They also contact the uh, fire department, will contact the uh, dispatcher, and they will call us. And we send a DART officer uh, to the hospital to meet the fire department and to follow up on this. Normally what happens is somebody's taken to a hospital on an overdose, they're not kept. Uh, they're treated and then released. Treat them and street them. That's what they say, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's good, yeah. And that's exactly what happens. So we're there, and we're waiting to, to approach them and to talk to them. Um, at the beginning, it was, it was tougher to, to win their uh, acceptance, but now most people know what, in our community, they know what DART is. It's a, it's a household name. And uh, so when we approach them, they know who DART is. The nurses will ask them, would you like to talk to a DART officer? DART officer is here for you. And so we, we talk with them and we tell them what, what's going to happen with them in the future. If they don't get treatment, uh, you know, they're going to be back. They're going to end up dead or they're going to end up in jail for a crime that they've committed to try to gain enough money to support their habit. Uh, that's inevitable. This is, uh, this is what's going to occur. What kind of resistance do you get there, John, from them? They've just OD'd. They're just kind of coming out of it. And now they've got the police standing in front of them. Isn't there some fear of incarceration? There is fear of incarceration when we approach them. And in fact, we've had people say, I know why you're here, and they've turned around and put their hands on the wall thinking they're going to be frisk. And we'll tell them, no, that's not why we're here. We're here to help you. And so we, you know, we have to sell uh, to them the fact that we are there to help them. And there is light at the end of the tunnel and explain to them what, what they need or they're going to be right back in the hospital again. Uh, most of the most of the time, people will accept our assistance. There are people that refuses our assistance. We will give them our card and tell them if they ever need us, please contact us. And we've had those folks then contact us six months later and say, "I'm ready for you now. I need help. I want to. I want to talk to you." And this is what we've found that has happened in our community. So including families in the process is also unique to programs like yours. But I, I have to believe that it presents some additional challenges when the one struggling with addiction has burnt all those bridges. Can you speak to how the heck you do that? 
Yeah, so people that burnt bridges with their mothers, their fathers, their sisters, their brothers, uh, their wives, you know, or um, husbands, uh, those people, are, they still love them, and it's their family, and they want the best for their family. There are families that are thinking, you know, an entire family would be better off if that person was dead. Uh, they've come to that conclusion. The family has come to that conclusion mm, okay. of, about the person that is addicted. Yeah. They have stole from them. They have mm-hmm. ripped them off. They've done so much. Uh, their family is in uh, turmoil because of the addiction. So they've many families have washed their hands, the family member that is addicted. Yeah. And, but when we approach the family and we talk to the family and we tell them what we are doing with their loved one and how we can help is that we can just see a the eyes and the faces that how you know something has come to them that how lucky they are to be able to have somebody to step up is going to help their loved ones and so then we build this relationship back again and sometimes we don't uh, some people will never let those people back in their families again but oftentimes they will because that's their loved ones education is a piece of it how do you educate the family so we accept invitations to all over is that all of our 20 officers, every one of them can do great presentations. That, and we try not to turn anybody down. Is that us. So we do everything that we can do. And we have so many calls of asking us to come and present. And it really gets to a point is where we need then to move that information over to other officers, to DARE officers, to uh, community policing officers for them to uh, deliver the message. But it is about getting the message out and, and so that culture is changing in our community and has changed a lot. And so that's what we have to do is we have to be available uh, to the community and and uh, they want to hear what is the best route for their, their family members and how to keep their family members off of drugs. The DART program brochure states that it's designed to support the victim and their family across the time frame of recovery. Can you explain what that means, time frame of recovery? So we, we look at uh, 30 days, 60 days, uh, continue to follow up a year, two years. So, so we actually have it geared for two years. Uh, but what we've found and is fortunate is that not much needs to be done uh, when you get out two years. Uh, so we've only been in the business for three and a half years. And so not a lot needs to be got done once you get two years of being clean and they have their other support groups and uh, organizations that they've joined, whether it be AA or, or Drug Anonymous or, or whatever organizations it is. So we, we don't have to be as busy with them. Uh, two years out is what we were the first 30 and 60 and 90 days. Three and a half years into the program, you've now responded to 2,200 overdoses. Let's go down that road and talk about all of the stats that um, for the great work that you guys have done. We um, measure our success, and uh, we've kept documentation. And, and our objective and goals right from the very beginning uh, was what you had said, is to, to get people into treatment and to... Uh, educate the family and and have family involvement and educate the community. So our success that we have measured is that how many people have we been able to get into treatment? And that success is we're averaging right around 74 to 75 percent 
of people that we contact agree to go into treatment. And we feel that that's, that's 74% of the, these people would have never gone into recovery uh, that night or that day if we had not contacted them and showed them how to do that and to lead them to the location where they need to be. When we respond is that we uh, we need to uh, have the proper vehicles. We need to have unmarked cars, is that not the cars that look like police cars because cops are the last people that uh, a person wants to see when they have overdosed. And uh, so if we show up in a four-door Crown Vic or a marked unit, a marked car, they would be scared to death to go with us. Um, and now that we can show up in a regular car that everybody drives on a daily basis, is that that's not as intimidating. So we've had a lot of help from the community and, and educating the community. Uh, then it, it has come back to us in uh, uh, help for tangible articles such as cars, We've had three different dealerships that have given us automobiles, just signed the titles over or gave us lease cars for us to be able to uh, uh, take people to recovery and to detox. They've told us when those cars wear out, bring them back, and they will give us another one. So we do have automobiles that we're able to take people to uh, detox and recovery. Uh, it's costly, too, for, uh, for every officer that we have is that we ask an outside agency to give us assistance. We certainly don't want to ask them to pay for a cell phone, to pay for the laptops, to pay for the fuel. So we have done a lot of fundraising in our community, and, and large companies have stepped up and helped us and given us uh, monies to be able to keep this operation uh, moving. We had one Louisville title in our, in our community. Uh, they came to us and... They said that the, they were going to, for the next four years, they were going to give us a percentage of every closing they have to the DART unit to keep the DART unit uh, running. And then they gave us the first $10,000 check. We had a small community that has a, uh, that has a small uh, restaurant that, that closed down the entire street, and they had a couple thousand people show up for the DART unit uh, as the fundraiser. So... We've received a lot of help to be able to pay for the equipment that we need for these officers. Wow, that is really impressive. What's, you know, you've inspired the entire community to get around you and support this cause, and now the whole community is involved in that. And that it can really be the catalyst that inspires many other communities. Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely pleased with the reception that we have, uh, we have got from the community, and uh, it's benefited our our law enforcement community. As I had mentioned before, community policing, that's to interface with uh, the community in a positive way to help. Uh, that, this to me is community policing at its best. And so we have been able to touch the lives of people from all social, racial, and economic boundaries. And so we, we feel it's a great success. So let's talk a little bit more about the budget. Communicate um, what it takes to run a similar DART-type program for other communities? Well, you know, if, if somebody wanted to start a DART program, they could do exactly what we did, is, is uh, start small and with two officers and educate your, your um, uh, road officers, your street officers, to be able to encourage people to, to get to treatment and to get to detox. So where we're at right now 
is that with uh, benefits and um, insurance and uh, wages, etc., for our our um, DART program, it's the the cost of it is right about uh, a million a year for the Lucas County um, commissioners. It's, it's about one million dollars, and but it would cost much more than that if if all of it fell on the county commissioners because we've had so many police departments that have stepped up and helped. And so that is their donation. So every community could pull together their resources so it would be much less for each community. We have uh, two communities that uh, was not able to give us an officer and, uh, and that they didn't have the policemen available because they were very small uh, small cities. And uh, But the one city they committed forty thousand dollars to us and uh, they said we can't give you an officer but we can give you uh, monies and another community just wrote us a check for fifteen thousand dollars so and this is what's happening here is that we're getting cooperation from the entire and the entire community of lucas county wow how many communities are involved now john there's uh, approximately seven communities uh that are involved um so we have a couple more communities that we need to to get on board, and we're still we're still talking with them and working with them, and and of course they have problems in their community, and they they realize that it's important, but they they just haven't stepped in yet. So yeah. there's only there's only about three communities that have not stepped in. Wow! But all the other communities have. That's so terrific. So has there been any consideration? You know, we talked about cost, the cost of the program. So has there been any consideration of the save of your program? Because you've touched 2,200 people over the course of your existence in three and a half years. And during that time, you've kind of sidetracked for many of those, 74% of them. Um, you've sidetracked this vicious cycle of going out and breaking the law and acquiring whatever and breaking whatever laws to steal or do whatever they need to do to continually use. So has there been some thought and analysis done on your saves? Well, I just, I just read an article here recently, recently that said for every dollar spent, $3 is saved. Uh, every dollar spent for treatment, uh, $3 is saved. But I have to believe it's much more than that. I have to believe that when you're talking about uh, people that are addicted, they're so sick, and they they are looking, the high that they're looking for is just to feel normal. They are, are deathly sick, so they're out breaking into cars, uh, ramsacking um, glove compartments, looking for dollars and change because it's so cheap to buy their heroin or, or the fentanyl. And so the homes that are broken into and, and uh, the insurance uh, that people have to uh, ask their insurance company to cover their doors and the theft that, that has gone on. I can't, I can't imagine how many dollars that we've actually saved. I wish I could put a number on that. But also the lives. Think about a person breaking into a home during the day. They think people are working. They don't think that they're home, but maybe somebody's working the midnight shift and they come in their home during the day and uh, a struggle occurs and a resident gets killed because somebody was looking for $20 or $15. The lives that have been saved too. We, we just don't, we just don't know. And, uh, so this is what we have to we have to keep in mind. We do know the uh, 
uh, crimes are up uh, for uh, small amount of monies. You know that people are not always looking for big screen TVs when they bust a window and enter a home. They're looking for ten dollars or or a dollar and a half worth of change. Wow. So, does can you share with us a success story from Dart? Does is there one particular success story maybe that stands out in your mind there, John? Yes, there's a couple. You know, there's there's numerous success stories that. Uh, one being is that uh, there was a young fellow in our community that had been uh, uh, had overdosed so many times, come so close to death, and this this young fellow was uh, heading for uh, a stardom, is that he was going to be a, a professional football player or baseball player, and he played football and baseball in high school. He was a standout. He went to the University of Toledo on a scholarship. He blew out his uh, shoulder um, playing baseball and he got addicted to oxycontin and when the doctor wouldn't give him any more oxycontin he started using heroin he never ever thought that he would be a heroin addict we we met with him we found him in a uh, an emergency room he had turned down our services uh, we had met with him again uh, so finally he accepted what we had to offer and he is doing very well now and in fact, he has started a treatment agency himself in our county, and he is working with an agency in Florida is where they have uh, young people from uh, this community go to Florida, and young people from Florida will come to this community for treatment. So this is how far he's come along. So that's, that's a great success story. His name is Matt Bell, and he's done very well in our community, and he's, um, he's one of our stars. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, Sheriff Tharp, I want to thank you for joining us and sharing the DART story and the history and some of the great work that, uh, that you've done. What final thoughts do you have for our listeners? I think what is so important is that um, we come together as a community. This is not going to be able to uh, be fixed by one agency or one police department or one sheriff's office. Is that uh, We all need to put a uh, our thoughts together and put it in writing, uh, put it in uh, writing to a point where you can share it with others and meet with others and tell and let folks know what it is that you want to do. And at that point, people will just come out of the woodwork uh, to help because they know that they're not doing it for you, is that they're doing it for others. They're doing it uh, for people that are sick. And so I think the more conversation we can get and with uh, folks in our community to let them know what it is that we want to do, the stronger we're going to be. And uh, that, that is so important. The education, uh, the treatment, and the enforcement, that threefold is what we're going to have to do in order to uh, uh, curb this uh, opiate epidemic. Thank you again, John. You're welcome. We've You're been welcome. talking today with Sheriff John Tharp, who launched the Drug Abuse Response Team, better known as DART, in Lucas County, Ohio. Founded in 2014, DART is making a real difference in the opioid epidemic. My name's Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.